0: Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Can I make my side softer? Can I make my side firmer
1: whenever I want? Can, Can we sleep, sleep cooler? Sleep Number does that, cools up to eight times faster, and lets you choose your ideal comfort on either side. 94% of Sleep Number smart sleepers report better sleep. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.
2: As the sun set over the Magnolia State on Friday, April 24th, Mississippian lives were changed forever. A charged supercell cut across the midsection of the state, spawning a tornado that caused EF-4 damage in the towns of Rolling Fork and Silver City, and then EF-3 damage in Amory, all over the course of a few hours while many slept. While the event was well-forecasted by meteorologists across the country, nothing could prepare a person for the severity of what the victims experienced and what we all saw at first light the next morning. We want to take this episode of Weather Geeks to break it all down and look ahead to the tornado potential for the next event and for the rest of the season. So hello, Weather Geeks listeners. Uh, I'm producer Heather Zanz. I'm joined today by Dr. Greg Postel. Greg, I know you've been on the podcast a couple of times, but if you want to introduce yourself to the listeners so they know who you are.
1: Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, Thanks, Heather. Uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Greg Postel at the Weather Channel. And yeah, you know, we were, Heather, covering... Severe weather very intently, uh, not just that day, Friday, but also the days before. You mm-hmm. know, we had plenty of of ample uh, awareness from the great forecasters at the Storm Prediction Center saying there was going to be a pretty volatile day, and you know, it was one of those things where we all kind of knew that there was trouble ahead, and unfortunately, that verified.
2: Yeah, we are very fortunate that SPC could give us uh, their forecast outlooks five days in advance. And I'm pretty sure this outlook was out at least as like a day four. Um, So it was the confidence in the forecast way ahead of time is great, um, but also horrible at the same time for the fact that it's like the looming. It's like, uh oh, we know this area is going to get hit potentially for, you know, the second time in X amount of weeks or whatever. Um, That's usually... Bad sign when it's kind of this pattern that just keeps repeating itself over and over.
1: You raise a really good point, though. You know, it's, it's, we're at a place where the models are sophisticated enough to give us a pretty good idea, you know, of where mm-hmm. severe weather is going to be, not just, you know, a few hours in advance, but even as you mentioned, a few days in advance. And that kind of goes to a point where. You know, we may need to rethink how we prepare for these systems. You know, like we do with tropical cyclones days in advance, we start the preparations. It may be yeah. it a way to think of these things is, and not have to react immediately at the last second when we get the warnings, because oftentimes while they're great uh, and they're <laughs> you know as good as we can do, mm-hmm. they're oftentimes that's not enough time to find safety.
2: Yeah, I feel like the earliest we are at least asking like emergency managers to start activating is at least when the watch gets issued, which is still good. But that's only I'm not sure exactly what time the watch was issued on Friday for that area. I believe it was around five, like either four or five o'clock. Don't quote me on that. But it was still a few hours ahead of when it happened. But is that not enough time, depending on where you live, if it's a mobile or manufactured home or something like that, um, is that enough time for you to find out where to go um, to find your safest uh, place? So these are all questions, of course, to be answered.
1: Yep, of course, be answered. And and just to, you know, another way to remind yourself, what's the best way to prepare and how long is it going to take for you in your community to find that safe spot? You know, maybe it's a few minutes, but maybe Mm -hmm. it's a lot longer than that.
2: Yeah. So let's go back to, let's put ourselves in the shoes of, I guess, us again, but on Friday morning, um, Mm -hmm. kind of when we saw all the ingredients coming into place. Again, this was um, well forecasted. We knew that Friday was going to be a severe uh, evening. Um, And basically all year, it seems like we keep having the same ingredients in place. Like we just keep having... You know, we have always, we tend to have enough moisture. Now we're getting into the time where the warmer temperatures are giving us more instability, seeing the lift, things like that. But how did we know that it would be more of like a tornado threat rather than just like a, a hail or a severe wind event?
1: I think we anticipated that the wind shear was going to be at the high end of the scale, that it's going to be a very volatile atmosphere. You know, this is, as you said, one in a whole lot of events that we've seen, not just in recent months, but in recent years across the deep south, where they are high shear, low ish instability events. Mm -hmm. Um, This was another example of that. And, you know, I think looking at some of the forecasted soundings and in particular, the hodographs, which are maps of wind shear, um, you could sort of see that there was gonna be a real threat for long track and violent tornadoes. Um, And that is a reminder that the Southern US is part of Tornado Alley. I mean, of course we know the South and Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and areas nearby we know that our severe weather season is in winter, mm-hmm. but in recent decades, there's been a trend to include that as an extension of the traditional tornado alley, which was in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. But uh, the deep South, um, in particular in this case, was really set up Heather well with mm-hmm. a very high wind shear and hodographs that were you know, very favorable of long-lived supercells. And uh, the possibility from that extending from that uh, long track tornadoes as well.
2: Right. I remember looking at the HER model, like the days leading up to the event and just seeing the just the imagery it was showing with like the color tables, like off the charts or at least like at the max of the scale where it's like, oh, this is supercell like this is intense supercell potential. and. You know, we've been showing the her model all winter with some of these events and severe events, and it's like, yeah, you you start to get like some of the oranges and reds showing up. But then when you start to see it maxed out and it's like showing like white on at least how we on our computers, it's like, oh, that is really, really not good. And when we were able to forecast that out, you know forty eight hours ahead of time, that's when we were like, yeah, this is this is not going to be a good day." And then not even the fact that it's not a good day, it was not a good evening because then the sun went down and that's when it all went down, basically. Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: you're right. I mean, there was there were a couple of things to watch. I remember talking about it with you and others that, you know, we were likely to see uh, sort of a, a linear mode of convection along the frontal zone moving in, which, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, a, in an environment like this could have, um, as we figured prior to it developing, it was also going to carry with it a tornado risk. You know, sometimes lines of thunderstorms don't do that, right. um, but it depends on lots of things. If you get the right storm motion in the right environment, you can have lines of supercells with tornadic potential all up and down. It. And we were worried about that, but we were also worried mm-hmm. about the um, potential for discrete supercells. Uh, out ahead of uh, Bear clinic Zone or Frontal Zone moving through, and and that is indeed kind of what transpired. And I think, you know, the supercell that, um, unfortunately, brought the tornado to you know Rolling Fork and other areas uh, carried on the entire state. It was a long-lived supercell that eventually yeah. dropped three tornadoes along the way, all at a very high intensity
2: yeah I know when it's hurricane season, we tend to talk about how like it only takes one well in mm-hmm. this scenario, it only takes one supercell, and this one decided it wanted to live for a very long time and spawn depending on how how the tracks eventually get connected, but potentially multiple tornadoes that caused uh extended extents of damage to both rolling fork all the way to Amory and even into Alabama as well um mm-hmm. So in the timeline of things, so the first tornado emergency was issued at 8.05 p.m. Central Time um, for Rolling Fork on uh, Friday. Uh, So what did we see on the radar that emphasized the need for this emergency? I remember myself specifically just toggling over to the velocity mode on the radars that we have and just seeing the colors absolutely maxed out in terms of the wind differences and just being like oh my god like it's I haven't seen that in years like I can't even remember the last time I saw it so distinctly and it was definitely a warranted tornado emergency for sure um it was just it was wild to see
1: uh, you're right, and it was that signature on the Doppler velocity scans of that supercell that told us that there was very likely a violent tornado in progress. Because you were talking about the, the couplet that was rare. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, it, at the time that it was moving through, as I recall, um, rolling fork, what's called V rotation, which is basically an average of the inbound and the outbound velocity components. It's not a measure of the wind speed of a tornado, which is quite mm-hmm. a bit higher. But the V-rotation was somewhere close to 90 knots, which on the scale of all of the ones that we ha- look back in history, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, on the high end of the scale. So there was, uh, the mesocyclone was spinning very, very quickly, and the tornado from it obviously produced an EF4 tornado, EF4 damage, I should say. Now, yeah, again, yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't, record, that's not necessarily the strength of the wind of the tornado, but it did produce EF4 damage.
2: Right, yeah. Um. And Usually when we are forecast or when we are now casting these on air at the weather channel, you know, you look at the velocity and you may see the really uh, intense signature and then you toggle over to the correlation coefficient, which shows the debris. And sometimes you are hopeful. You're like, oh, good. It hasn't. There is no correlation coefficient, which means it hasn't really it's not showing any evidence of hitting anything or kicking up a lot of debris, Like we tend to see these with tornado warnings, we just toggle between the velocity and correlation coefficient. But it was really unfortunate when we toggled over to the velocity, uh, and we already saw a really strong correlation coefficient, and we were continuing to see it for multiple, multiple radar scans. um, And we just knew that it was in the process of causing so much damage, and the sun was down, and. I mean, it's kind of early on a Friday night, so I don't know how many people were sleeping, but people were probably just in their homes and hopefully got the warnings ahead of time. But it's just such a it's such a helpless feeling as a meteorologist because you're just watching the radar and you literally it's like this is debris that I'm looking at right now. And there's, you know, nothing I can do about it. Um, You just hope that the people um, who are in the path were sheltered or in their safe place or uh, wherever they needed to go.
1: Uh, that debris that you are talking about, sort of the debris tracking technique used by these Doppler scans is really important. It can also tell you how high the debris is being lofted. Yeah. In some cases, I think at Rolling Fork, it was somewhere around 30,000 feet up. So yeah. um, there are violent circulations, not just uh, in the horizontal, but also the updraft in, associated with the tornado is incredibly strong. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, that's the such the sobering part of all of this and what we do because you know when you see certain aspects of the radar you know that it is causing damage and you just hope are hopeful that people survive and you know and the other thing too about this storm it was moving so quickly i mean i I don't remember the translation speed of it but i they believe it was over 60 miles per hour so when you get the warning that's not a lot of time to react which is another you know another reminder that you know don't wait for the warning uh, look for other hints and signals like the watches for instance and mm. you know have your have your safe plan and know how to react um, well before perhaps a warning goes out
2: right yeah like if you are put under a watch me I mean for one maybe you should stay home or wherever your safe place is go to that safe place and just hang out there bring a book bring something just to like hang out until the watch is over or you are watching your local forecast and you know, okay, the threat has passed for me. I can now, you know, continue, Mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. Sometimes the warning, uh, the warning gets issued of course, and it is ahead of time, but how much time do you actually need to prepare? Especially if you have multiple kids and you're trying to wrangle them and it's like, no, you have to come. We all have to go hang out in the bathroom for a little bit. And there's like, no, I don't want to like, whatever. It's like Mm -hmm. the severity of things like that, um, is yeah. Yeah. It's nothing that you you can try and prepare for it but then when it actually happens the ability to actually put your plan into place is where it is the most important
1: and there's not always um you know a lot of safe places to go you know if yeah. you have a sturdy structure and it's even hard to know if the structure that you're in is sturdy uh, we always say you know as many walls between you and the outside uh because flying debris is a huge problem and a killer mm-hmm. And it's completely lethal at these kinds of, you know, tornadic velocities. So there's that, there's places in the bathroom that are actually good places to be with all the plumbing uh, offering additional protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be near windows and you want to be as low to the ground as possible to minimize the wind speed and the potential for impact from flying debris. But, you know, Heather, sometimes the structure they're in, you don't know how strong it is. And, and other times, unfortunately, you know that it's just not that strong, so... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> There are a lot of bad outcomes that come with a violent tornado like this crossing across Mississippi and other areas of the South where there are towns everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I guess just, I grew up in Kansas. Not I grew up in Kansas. I lived in Kansas for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, you know, sometimes you get a tornado warning and you just know that it's there are very few things in its way, you know? Yeah. But not the case so often in the Southeast is that tornadoes, the same tornado moving through the Southeast, unfortunately can hit a lot more things.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff and nothing, nothing is like stopping it. It's just going to continue its track and, you know, you never know yeah. what's going to happen. So um, on that note, uh, with this tornado and we kind of mentioned it a little bit before, there's been a lot of conversation about long track tornadoes and how rare they are. And Priscilla, and I, I know you and I were talking offline about this, about tornado intensity is so fickle <laughs> it is constantly changing like by the millisecond that a tornado is changing its intensity so like you said it it caused ef4 damage in amory and silver city but was that its peak intensity at x given time we don't know and it's so hard to lock that down to you know any exact um science so long track tornadoes are difficult to get because the ingredients just change. So like any, the environment that the tornado is in at one second versus the next second is different. And that's why tornadoes are just so hard.
1: The complex flow. You got that right. Uh, In a tornado, it's all over the place and at different speeds at different uh, angles, you know, and There's been some really good studies lately. Josh Warman and Karen Kosiba. I know the Dow teams have in recent years um, written up uh, the uh, report that indeed tornadoes, supercell tornadoes in particular, are probably quite a bit stronger than the EF damage ratings suggest. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, sometimes the peak intensity of a tornado wind is very transient. May last only a few seconds or perhaps, you know, is over a very, very small area, maybe even only the size of half of your house. And, you know, a real instantaneous wind uh, excess like that um, may not be captured in the damage path, but if the, you know, the measurements um, from the Doppler, for example, in this case, the Doppler teams, uh, they were out there and measuring actually (laughs) remotely, Mm -hmm. but to a pretty high degree of accuracy, the wind speeds in a lot of these tornadoes, and found that they were the wind is actually stronger oftentimes yeah. by a, I think the EF category uh, or more than the damage ratings mm-hmm. suggest. So there's yeah, which there.
2: is scary. Again, yeah. reiterating, if you're under the warning, I mean, the you don't know the intensity. It's just like the normal layperson wouldn't know. They just know, hey, I'm under a tornado warning. I need to take shelter, regardless of how strong it is, because it may be even stronger than you think. Um, so that's why they always just need to be taken, um, seriously. Very
1: seriously. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. just real quick, you brought something else good about the, sort of the weird damage swaths and paths and the, the odd the idea that, you know, lots of tornadoes have multiple vortices. Now, not, that doesn't guarantee the intensity. There's not much of a correlation between the existence of meso-vortic, vorticals, you know, structures, little mm. suction vortices and the strength of a tornado. In fact, the dust devil can have that. That depends on a much more complicated, um, Sort of fluid dynamic properties of the tornado itself. So you can have a weak tornado and mesovortices, but in either case, if a tornado has that kind of, you know, structure. structure. In other mm-hmm. words, ma- there's main parent circulation and little ones inside of it rolling around the main uh, axis. You have these weird damage swaths. These—that's where the most damage occurs—is uh, the intersection of one of these meso cyclones, mesovortices, and um, yeah, whatever it runs into.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we hope for the future of these communities. Obviously, there is a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen um, in the short term and the long term. Um, hopefully, uh, they will be able to rebuild better with better building codes or stronger. Or if however they need to rebuild, they figure out a system of like installing separate storm shelters or having designated buildings that people know where they can go in these situations. Um, this will be a lot for these communities to discuss in the future um, because there's, again, a lot of uncertainty. Tornadoes are, uh, because we were also talking about this earlier, tornadoes are so, in the grand scheme of things, tornadoes are so small. Like, they are such a small point on the map um, compared to all other natural disasters, but they are so destructive in their tiny, tiny space that they uh, exist in um, so that's why you just need to always be weather aware and know if you are in an area that's favorable, it can happen. It can happen to you. So you never want to think that it can't happen because you just always have to be uh, mindful of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a way to rethink how to you know build and and bolster these communities that are in tornado vulnerable regions, you know, because it's yeah. going to happen, as you mentioned. But it may not be your neighborhood this time, but it could be your neighborhood the next time.
2: So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will look ahead to the next severe event um, with more tornado potential.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this.
2: Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Heather Zonza a producer here, uh, joined by Dr. Greg Postel of the Weather Channel. Um, We were both very uh, engrossed uh, with the event that was happening on Friday, the um, massive tornadoes that rolled through Mississippi that caused um, EF4, preliminary EF4 damage to at least a couple of communities there, so our hearts go out to them. Um, But we also want to take the opportunity to look ahead to Not even just the next event in the short term, but also just looking at the long term with this season Um, for those. Obviously, you're listening to Weather Geeks. So odds are you are a weather geek. You've probably been following the fact that pretty much it seems like every week or every two weeks, there is a severe event happening somewhere in the country. There is a tornado potential somewhere. Um, We the storm reports are off the charts um, that we've already seen all throughout winter. Um, and it's looking like that trend will continue into spring. Obviously there are diff- much different ingredients into play, but, um, we already have our next severe event, uh, coming up this Friday. SPC is already pretty confident about that. And this severe event even stretches as far North as Iowa and Illinois. So we know we're definitely getting into spring when you get the ingredients going all the way up that far.
1: Yeah, and places that just had snow, right? I mean, it was just about <laughs> there's,
2: there's probably still snow on the ground, and they're to right? be in this, yeah.
1: <laughs> Your old stomping grounds in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Heads That's up, right. there could be yeah. some severe thunderstorms there. But I mean, you know, on a more serious note, Heather, you, you know, you're right. This is this is almost like clockwork. It seems like Friday is probably going to be. Um, a very volatile day severe weather is very likely and tornadoes are likely and all kinds of other severe weather hazards including hail and, and damaging straight line winds as well but to your point earlier was right is that this is going to extend over when you over a larger area than last week's i mean mm-hmm. last friday it was a, a really uh nasty environment for thunderstorms really um you had all the ingredients for a high-end severe weather event but it was relatively contained mm-hmm. in a geographical region of the southeast this one is mm-hmm. not so much and it has actually some similar characteristics in terms of the amplitude of the wind shear uh, that we expect to be of similar variety unfortunately mm-hmm. which is a heads up to fat to the fact that there could be some tornadoes and some of those could be long track and strong um, and we have the other ingredients as well but unfortunately over a larger area than we saw last friday
2: Right. Uh, I remember just just before this, looking at like the upper level wind maps of (laughs) of just like the Midwest and like the central plains. I'm like, those winds are screaming like it Mm is like like, yeah, the wind shear is just really off the charts. And uh, as you were saying, when you see it over such a large area, that's when it gets so, so difficult because you're trying to pinpoint um, like. There's not one area that you can really focus on, like how you're saying the uh, area last Friday, we kind of knew it was between like Arkansas, and Mississippi, Louisiana was kind of like our our focus area. But when your focus area is so large, um, mm-hmm. that's when just so many more people have to be mobilized, um, uh, utilized for this, uh, like emergency managers, things like that. So um, and especially happening on a Friday, Fridays are so tough for severe mm-hmm. in terms of communication Because hopefully people aren't tuned out like they're like, oh, the work week's done, like I'm logging off of everything. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm just going to do my own thing. Or if they're going on vacation, either to or from the severe area or something, or if they're flying over it or sub. you know, like Fridays Mm -hmm. are so, so difficult when it comes to severe weather communication.
1: So, um, you know, it's, it's Tuesday, and the severe weather mm-hmm. events uh, coming Friday, so that's, you know, quite a bit, uh, there's a little bit of lead time there, but yeah. the models are in pretty good agreement, as we talked about earlier, they're sophisticated enough to give us a good idea, and looking at some of the forecast soundings across um, the Midwest, really anywhere from Illinois and Indiana, southward, I mean, the The degree to which the wind shear is going to be favorable for tornadoes uh, and severe thunderstorms more generally um, is very high. I mean, it is looking at some of the forecast uh, hodographs and some of the other data that we look at. The type of wind shear that we're going to have is unfortunately uh, suggesting that we're going to see a very, very unfortunate outcome here with the number of severe weather reports and unfortunately probably tornado reports as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this is. I mean, it is March. Today is March 28th. um, And the severe event is happening on the 31st, I believe. Um, And then we're already into April, which when you if you are a severe weather uh, aficionado, you know, March, April, May. Those are the months and April is in the middle of that. And that's usually where it all really starts to get going. When we were talking about it, it's like, oh, once every week that we tend to see a severe event. Well, when we get into these months, it's like once every three days. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just kind of rolling, you know, each new storm system comes rolling through. You got that energy recharging and it just, you know, happens over and over again. So um, are there any analogs or like trends that you're seeing going into April that, I mean, I guess, is there anything that looks like it could be slowing down? Because honestly- I don't think it is.
1: No, the, me- the medium marine gu- guidance, uh, the stuff that looks out, you know, in the one to two week time frame, and then even beyond that, it continues to support the idea that we'll get repeated troughs coming into the West. So in other words, dips in the jet stream out that way, keeping it cold and snowy in the West. And sort of the, uh, the offset to that is bringing warmer, more unstable air into the Eastern third of the country. And with that, Oftentimes severe weather goes along with it. And that kind of setup, that kind of dipole in the or you know, the temperature anomaly pattern, cold in the west, warm in the east, that's not good for what happens in between. And um unfortunately I don't like you said, I don't see a whole lot of change upcoming. I mean, eventually we'll get our way out of it, but yes. You know. Doesn't look like right now that there's something that's going to, you know, knock it off its tracks anytime soon. It might be a while. I'm going to just do a quick look here while you sort of fill in the gaps here. I'm going to look ahead and look at some of the longer range guidance, but I'm pretty sure they're forecasting warmth in the southeast with ridging more prominent than not. And that's not a good sign for severe weather.
2: Yeah, I know um, the past couple of days, I believe it was Jacksonville, um, or at least the Jacksonville area have already hit their first 90 degree of the year, which is Mm -hmm. really above average for them. They tend to hit it in like mid-April. And it's like, oh, it's Florida, whatever that happens. You know, it it gets to 90 degrees. It's been warm. And it's like, it has been very warm. I remember um, parts of like Miami and Key West were hitting their first 90 in like February. We've just had this ridge just stuck over the southeast. And um, again, people are like, oh, the southeast, it's just warm there. It's like, no, this is this can have so many ripple effects, both upstream and downstream in the atmosphere with how uh, things react to it and from it, um, which can create severe weather like we're seeing.
1: Yeah, and just looking at the uh, some of the CPCs, the Climate Prediction Center's uh, probabilistic guidance, looking at the 8 to 14-day temperature outlook, and you can infer a lot from that, and it's actually a good place for viewers who are not used to looking at weather maps that are kind of complicated sometimes, just to look at the temperature patterns that they expect uh, across the country in the next one to two weeks. And it's Mm -hmm. basically keeping the same theme that we've seen uh, for months now, where the cold air is likely to be in the west, and the warm air is likely to be, most likely to be in the southeast. And the problem is is that when you have that, as I said, temperature distribution, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: oftentimes have cyclone development in the middle of it, where the gradients are, where the changes in temperatures are. And you have, this time of year, access to all the ingredients when those cyclones do develop for severe weather. So that says somewhere in the middle of the country and to the Southeast. And we're going to continue with this active pattern going at least through the middle of April.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if you are listening to this right now, um, for one, check out the CPC maps like uh, Dr. Postel just mentioned, but also make sure you pretty much make sure you're looking at the SPC maps, like probably at least once a day, um, just yes, to see totally. what their updates are. Um, see if your your area is, is highlighted on, on any of their outlooks um and even look in the longer range like go out to the day 5s day 6s just to kind of get a flavor of it if you're planning for your weekend or traveling or anything like that um especially if you're traveling to a place that you aren't super familiar with um because we are in that season that these things when the when all of the ingredients Like when we know all the ingredients are in place, it's hard until you once once you are actually now casting the event when you are in the middle of the event and you are watching these supercells track across the state and you're just hoping that they don't, you know, create a tornado that causes EF4 damage across Mississippi. But unfortunately, that is what we had um, just a week ago. So um, just make sure you are all staying weather aware. Um, We're going to wrap up the podcast. Dr. Bostil, is there any uh, final thoughts that you have?
1: No, just stay aware, stay tuned. I mean, Heather, Mm -hmm. you and I are going to be on uh, streaming, right? That's Uh, right. streaming on Thursday and Friday night. So we'll be covering uh, the severe weather. We'll cover as many live uh, shots as we can. And I think we'll have people out in the field. And so um, we'll cover it hopefully as uh, best we can for you. It's going to be a busy time, I think. Not so much Thursday, more so Friday.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thursday will be a lot of forecasting ahead for Friday and then covering all of the areas, because as we mentioned, it is a very large area on Friday that we will be looking at. Um, So we just want to end the podcast with our Geek of the Week. Um, And I wanted to take this section of the podcast to highlight all of the men and women at the National Weather Service in Jackson, Mississippi, for all of their efforts this past weekend from forecasting the event ahead of time, now casting the tornado emergencies, then conducting the damage surveys. And then they had to mobilize for another severe event that occurred just a few days later. Um, And now looking ahead to Friday, potentially being mobilized again. So uh, your hard work is extremely appreciated from everyone here on the Weather Geeks team. Um, And that is the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in and stay safe.